Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. This week in synagogues throughout the world, the Torah portion that will be read is Vayelech. This is one of the last Torah portions of the book of Deuteronomy. It begins in Deuteronomy 31, right at the very beginning, and runs through 31 right to the end, which is about 30 verses. It's also the Shabbat between Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Jewish Repentance. In most synagogues, it's known as Shabbat Shuvah the Shabbat of repentance or the Shabbat of return. The Torah portion is an extremely interesting one. Let me set the stage for you. The Israelites are still gathered on the banks of River Jordan listening to Moses. He says to them, I am 120 year old today and God has told me that I shall not pass over into the promised land. Still, God will pass before you. God will destroy the nation so that you can take possession of the land that he has promised to you. You shall deal with these nations as you have been previously instructed. Be steadfast and strong. Do not fear these nations or be frightened of them, for God is going with you. God will not let go of you, nor God will forsake you. Then Joshua called, then Moses called Joshua and said to him before the eyes of all Israel, be steadfast and strong for you to go with this people to the land that God swore to their ancestors to give them. You shall have them take possession of it to inherit it just as he had promised. God will go with you. God will not let go of you nor God forsake you. Fear nothing and do not be frightened. That is Moses' charge to his successor, Joshua. Moses then writes down this teaching and handed it over to all the elders and to the priests and the son of Levi who carried the Ark of the Covenant of God. God commanded them, saying, At the end of seven years on the festival of the huts, which we now call Sukkot, When all Israel comes to see itself directly before the presence of God, you shall read this teaching in the presence of all Israel. And the Hebrew word for teaching here is Torah. God then said to Moses, as we read in this week's parasha, your day of death is approaching. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of appointed meeting so that I may charge him with his duty. Moses went with Joshua and they presented themselves in the tent of appointed meeting. God appeared in the tent in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of cloud stood at the entrance to the tent. Then Moses heard the words of God. Powerful the end of the story. 
the end of the person who had been leading the Israelites through the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now Deuteronomy. God said to Moses, you are now going to lie down before your fathers, and then this people will rise up and stray and will follow foreign deities and will become unfaithful and forsake me and break my covenant. At that time, my anger will be stirred against the people. I will forsake them. I will hide my face from them so that it will fall prey to destruction and many evils and troubles will come upon the people. At that time, they will say, truly because my God is not in my midst, have these evils come upon me. Now write down this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Notice now it's called a song and not a teaching. Put it in their mouth so that this song may become a witness for me against them. For I know the people's frame of mind when I brought them to the promised land. God wrote down this song on that day and taught it to the Israelites. And God gave Joshua his charge and said, Be steadfast and strong, for you are to bring the children of Israel to the land that I have sworn to them, and I will be with you. Moses spoke in the ears of the assembly of Israel the words of this song until the end. It's a very powerful portion. The words of the Torah portion resonate with the Israelites throughout history. When will God's face be hidden? What events in history will cause God to turn his back on the Israelites? In addition to the question of theology, there is the question of leadership. Moses makes the transfer of his leadership to Joshua. What does it take to be a good leader? In this week's Torah portion, Vayelach, we encounter two prominent leaders of the Jewish people. Moses, whose term is winding down, and the young, energetic Joshua, getting ready to take over. We know that Moses was surely a good leader, he freed the Israelites from enslavement in Egypt, listened to the whining and complaining in the desert for 40 years, delivered the Israelites to the Torah, managed to lead them to the edge of the promised land. What made him a powerful leader? Was it because he could talk to God or was it much more than that? And what about Joshua? Was he simply Moses' good student who learned from Moses? Or was there something more? Was he an independent leader? Certainly, Joshua would lead the Israelites into the promised land. And as many of you know, he would lead them against the nations that inhabited the land of Canaan so that they could take possession of it. With me this morning to talk about this issue and many more in the book, uh, in the story of Joshua and Moses in Vayelech, is Rabbi Jack Luxemburg, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Bethany in Rockville, Maryland. 
Rabbi Luxenberg recently retired after 35 years in the congregation. He is a popular teacher in the Maryland and Washington, D.C. area, noted for his weekly Torah stuttering, featuring wide-ranging discussions. It took 20 years of a weekly Torah study session to read all five books of the Torah line by line. Welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, Rabbi Luxembourg. Well, thank you for having me uh, with you today. Uh, I hope that you and your family had a wonderfully meaningful celebration of the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. Well, uh, thank you, and I hope the same for you and your family. And to uh, all the people who are listening, we say Shana Tova, because uh, in the synagogue we pray for a good and sweet New Year, not only for us, but for all people everywhere. So to everyone who's listening, Shana Tova, may this be a good year for us all. A sweet New Year. Amen. Uh, with um, our Torah portion of the week, Vayelech, it comes between uh, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the Day of Repentance. And I'm wondering uh, how you understand the connection between this Torah portion, which is so strategically placed, and the two holidays, one that preceded it and one that follows it. Well, um, you know, this is also the shortest of the Torah portions. It is uh, one chapter long. The whole parsha, the whole portion, is made up of uh, Deuteronomy 31, verses 1 through 30. Sometimes I think it's uh, the traditions being gracious to us. We're spending so much time in synagogue and studying so much Torah over these 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur with a Shabbat in the middle that uh, what a gift to have a somewhat shortened (laughs) uh, Torah portion for this Shabbat. But at the same time, the portion, even though it's only 30 verses long, touches on some really uh, important themes related to the season and, and the life of the Jewish community, not the least of which is uh, the idea of ch- transition and change, that we leave one year behind and whatever that has brought to us, and we are facing uh, a new year uh, and a new phase in our own lives, uh, just as our ancestors are described sitting now on the uh, east bank of the Jordan. Moses is about to depart. Uh, his death has been presaged. Uh, he talks about that at the beginning of the Torah portion. And with his death and uh, our ancestors crossing the uh, Jordan, uh, they leave behind the desert and they enter a new phase of their lives in Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel, the land of promise, and with new leadership, with Joshua. And uh, just as we can look back over... Uh, the past year, and which we're encouraged to do at this time, and to evaluate both its uh, its successes and its triumphs, along with its challenges and difficulties, so that we can become yet better people. Uh, so Moses is encouraging our ancestors to look back over the past, uh, as well as to anticipate some of the challenges that they will see in the future uh, under this new leadership. And, and he gives Joshua, of course, uh, that great encouragement, chazak v'yamat, you know, be strong and of good spirit. Chazak, uh, I think, is physical strength. God knows that uh, leadership requires physical strength, but also omits 
which I think is spiritual strength, uh, needs both to lead our ancestors and any people, any of us. Well, and, ma- and maybe that that's the interesting message for the reader that um, in a year, in a moment of transition, you need both physical strength and spiritual, emotional uh, strength to look back with great honesty and mm-hmm. to project the future. Uh, it's interesting that in the Jewish New Year, um, we're not asked to make promises um, about what we eat or how much we exercise um, or to uh, radically alter our uh, physical life, but we're asked to do cheshbon uh, hanefesh, an accounting of who we are as uh, spiritual beings uh, before we move forward to the new year. I think that's a that's a well taken point, and uh, these ten days, of course, are structured in such a way as to encourage that. And it's uh, I, I think it's not in- coincidental that the Torah portion we read uh, this coming Shabbat also includes. Um, a description of Moses writing down, uh, and here we have the in in scripture itself using the word Torah. Uh, hence, the tradition that the entirety of the Torah, uh, written uh, by Moses, uh, and instructing our ancestors uh, when and how to read it. Uh, how do you mean? This, well, let's, if you take a look at verse nine. Uh, Moses wrote down this teaching for those who are who may be looking in their Bible. This is chapter thirty-one of Deuteronomy, right. verse nine. Right, and Thank Rabbi you. Luxembourg is going to read it for us and then respond to it. All right, it says Moses wrote down this teaching is the translation, but the Hebrew word is Torah, and gave it to the priests, the son of Levi, who carried the ark for the Lord's covenant and to the elders of Israel. And Moses instructed them as follows. He said, every seventh year, the year set for remission, that be the sabbatical year, at the Feast of Booths, the festival of Sukkot, that comes in the fall, uh, five days after Yom Kippur, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose, you shall read this teaching, you shall read this Torah aloud in the presence of all Israel. Uh, I think what what we we learn from this a couple of very important things. Uh, as people in the synagogue hear these words, they recognize that the Torah is 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 what we call Morashah Kehilat Yisrael. The Torah belongs to the entirety of the people of Israel. It's just not in the possession of a a learned or, or priestly class. Uh, there's a democracy of Jewish learning, and consequently, from that democracy of learning becomes also a democracy of teaching. And uh, you and I, Rabbi Garden, emerge from that as rabbis. Well, uh, and, and for those who are listening, of course, the normative understanding of the word rabbi is a teacher. Is, is in fact teacher. Ra- rather right. than the standard understanding of liturgical leader, which might be more common in the church, uh, that the priest or the minister is the liturgical leader. In Jewish tradition, the essential role of the rabbi is not to be the liturgical leader, but to teach all the words of Torah and to help facilitate those who lead the liturgy to do 
so in an appropriate and uh, appropriate way and in a meaningful way rather than to take over. And of course, as you've so wisely suggested, it's why this democratization is why uh, so, mi- so much emphasis is placed within the Jewish tradition on people learning to, uh, liter- to be literate. Yes, right, and, and, and literacy, because you can't read and study without uh, uh, being able to access the text. And, and I think it's the point that you made earlier, that uh, as we come into the new year, we do cheshbon hanefesh. We uh, we do a bit of self-examination uh, and and we measure ourselves. The yardstick that we use, of course, uh, are the teachings of the principles, the values, and the ideals found in, in our Torah. And so, the, reading a portion uh, of Torah which instructs us, uh, albeit in the tradition that we don't we read the Torah now not once every seven years, but we read this uh, the entirety of the Torah on an, an annual cycle. Uh, but it reminds us how essential uh, the reading, the study, and the, and, and the incorporation of Torah values into our lives uh, has been since the uh, earliest times of our people and our faith. So you're suggesting that even though this is uh, the shortest Torah portion, the essential message of the portion is uh, most important, though it may not have the specificity of laws that are uh, enumerated in other sections of the Torah. The essential uh, value of uh, Jewish learning emerges from this parasha. Um, I want to ask you one other question since you uh, have um, pointed out verse 9. And that is, as you correctly translated for the listeners, it says in verse 9, Moses wrote down this teaching and handed it over to all the elders and the priests. But the Torah portion ends in verse 30 with uh, the following. Now write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouth so that this song may become a witness for me against them so that I know the people's frame of mind when I brought them to this promised land. And that, of course, is um, God speaking. And then it seems to suggest that Moses wrote down this song on that day and taught it to the Israelites. Um, Writing down the song seems to, uh, feels like it's um, an allusion to a modern piece of uh, music, but I don't think um, that's what it um, was intended. Um, How do you understand the change from the Hebrew word of Torah to the Hebrew word of Shir, from teaching to song or poem? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, Rabbi Garten, that there are some commentators who think when um, that the word Torah earlier uh, in the portion uh, refers not into the entirety of Torah from Genesis through Leviticus, but rather in particular the book of Deuteronomy itself. Since Deuteronomy, as the, the Greek name suggests, is essentially a recapitulation of most of the legislative uh, an instructional material found in the five books uh, of Moses, uh, with the exception of the narratives which we find in, in Genesis. So if you think about it in those terms, if he writes down all the instructional material, and then there's a second instruction to write down the following shear. Now, in, in, he, in Hebrew, we know that 
the word shir can mean a song or something that's chanted. It also means poetry. And interestingly enough, the very next Torah portion, uh, Ha'azinu, which begins with the first verse of chapter 32 in Deuteronomy, is in fact an extended poem. Uh, and uh, even in the Torah, uh, it is written out uh, in a Torah scroll and also published in many Hebrew-English uh, uh, book forms of, of for the five books of Moses in a unique way that indicates that it's Hebrew poetry as opposed to Hebrew prose. Uh, One so, of only two poems in the Torah, the other being right. the Song of Miriam or the Song at the Sea, which we find in Exodus 15. Uh, right. Well, back, right back in the Parsha B'Shalach. Right. Uh, which, which talks about our ancestors finding their way across the sea at the beginning of, uh, during their exodus from Egypt. So it, I, I think we might uh, understand uh, the the uh, change of uh, reference from Torah, the instructional material, to Shirah uh, as being this um, poetic, uh, rhythmic, and perhaps in the day easily chanted poem. We know that when language is uh, simple, rhythmic, somewhat repetitive, and capable of being set to music, it's easily remembered. And uh, given that the Torah text itself says that this shira, this poem, should stay in the hearts of people, and it's not a, it's not an altogether beautiful poem. It's a poem of instruction and warning. And it, what it's really saying is, please remember, uh, even now that you've entered into the promised land, that God has kept His promise and will continue to fulfill the promises He made to Israel. Uh, don't don't become complacent. Don't become uh, so self-satisfied uh, that our ancestors lose sight of their attachment to God and to their obligations to follow the teachings of Torah. So this is, so, a, this is a parasha that has many unique uh, aspects to it. Um, it's about the transition of leadership. It's about the transition from being the people who have wandered through the desert to very shortly being the people who will conquer the new land. It's about the transition from an oral tradition to perhaps a written tradition, and then understanding that the written tradition um, needs to exist in a format that's easily remembered um, as poetry or music tends to be. Many of us can uh, quote modern songs more easily than we can quote um, ancient uh, prose. Um, mm -hmm. I want to ask you one other thing that strikes me as perhaps having some uh, resonance uh, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and that is in verse 2, where uh, Moses uh, says, I am now 120 years old, and I can no longer be active. Mm -hmm. uh, the Hebrew um, probably best translates as, I am no longer able to go out and to come. Um, and I'm wondering how you understand um, Moses's um, 
self-identification of being aged. I can no longer be active, um, but really, what does it mean I can no longer able to go out and to come? Is he simply saying I'm enfeebled, or is it got a greater depth about uh, growing old? Uh, a, a, a great question, especially when at this season there are so many opportunities uh, and given the themes of the liturgy to uh, reflect on, on, on the limits of our abilities and the limits of our lives. It was, in the Hebrew it says, uh, if I remember, he said, Lo uchal od. Right, lo uchal od. I'm not able. Right. You know, I have... Uh, and, and the question is, when Moses says, I'm 120, he's already been told uh, that his life is coming to an end. Now, when he says, I'm not able because I'm no longer capable, or I'm not able because it's no longer my role. That role of leading the people, coming and going, in which that, and, and that may mean, it, it means, in, in, in a sense, it it's, uh, can be understood as a marriage that Moses goes out among the people, he comes to them. He goes out to them, and they sense him is, is coming to them and being concerned about them and dealing with uh, the, the issues, not only of leadership, the grander issues, uh, but uh, Moses as the shepherd of the, uh, of the folk. And so he says it may be that it's not only, it may not be only about physical capability, it may be that it's no longer his role. And I think that that's one of the that's something for us to contemplate as as any of us grow older in our in our families in in our in our work uh, in our place in the community uh, our roles change and sometimes those of us who have been blessed to have uh, leadership roles uh, have to recognize no matter uh, how uh, hale and hearty we are it may no longer be our role to, to fulfill those tasks. Uh, it is time for others. To do so. Uh, I'm, right, I'm do reminded so. that in Talmud, we have this interesting response. Um, Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachmani says that Rabbi Yonatan says that this particular verse, Deuteronomy 31.2, means that Moses could no longer go out and come in with words of Torah. This teaches that the gates of wisdom were closed to him, uh, mm-hmm. that he no longer was able to perceive um, that which God had offered him and to uh, transfer that wisdom to the people. Uh, can, I, can I put a twist on Sure, that? please do. Um, we all know that uh, different different individuals, different communities at different stages of development uh, receive insight and instruction in different ways. And it may be that one of the, the Moses, um, what Moses lacked was the, uh, perhaps was the capacity to teach Torah in a way that was meaningful and relevant to the tasks that lay ahead of our ancestors as they, getting, as they entered the lands of Israel. His Torah, his teaching of Torah, uh, may very well have been uh, geared to the challenges and the experiences of a people who are not land- landed, but a wandering people, and the challenges of 40 years in the desert. Um, nonetheless, what, what great uh, you know insight. That- and I have to uh, end with that insight 
and the resonance that it has for all transitions of age and leadership and stages. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Jack Luxemburg, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Bethany of Rockville, Maryland. I want to thank you very much for being with me this morning. You can hear a podcast of our show on iTunes or on the station website, chri.ca. Uh, and this morning we introduce a new aspect of Jewish faith and Jewish facts. We have introduced on the website an email for you, the listeners, to offer your comments on our show. So if you're so moved, you can email to jff at chri.ca and we will respond uh, to questions that come through the website. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, bidding you shalom and have a good day. Behold.